Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. With most good ideas, it tends to happen before bedtime. And that's what happened with this idea I have about talking about the passionate topics I talk about on a weekly basis to my friends, in my journal, on my Instagram stories. And what about doing a weekly podcast of the topics I'm obsessed with talking about on a weekly basis and doing a weekly recap on this podcast. The idea is nice, but I have a hard time with commitment. I have a hard time making myself do something when, you know, it really is not in flow. And that has a shadow and light side to it. But I'm going to do it today because it feels good, feels right, feels in flow today. So this week, I have been talking about a few different things. The first thing. I have been loving looking up certain word definitions and really reflecting on the words. I was reflecting on the word integrity and what does that mean when someone has integrity? And this one definition I saw says to be whole and undivided. And I loved it because when my husband and I were having this conversation about integrity, we said, it feels like when you know you are doing the right thing, you are doing the right thing that you know is right, even if everyone else says it's wrong. And it truly feels like you will always do the right thing when you are whole, when you are undivided. So to me, that means when you are in your soul. When you're in your soul, you will do the right thing because we all have a moral compass. We have an internal moral compass. It doesn't matter about our upbringing because we are born good. We have a moral compass inside of us because we are a soul and our soul knows what is right and our soul knows what is wrong. And our, we don't need parents to teach us good from bad. In our society, parenthood generally is viewed as the parent is the almighty, the all-knowing, and the child is not. And the parent has to make the child good. In other words, the parent has to program and socialize the child's brain, the child's ego, make them fit into this society culturally. That is what parenthood is in our society. Obviously, I agree and disagree with that. I believe children are better than adults. I think they unconditionally love 
and forgive and are 100% authentic and they prioritize the right things in life, like they prioritize relationships and joy and not money. So I believe if I'm ever a parent, my job is to keep a child as intact as possible. If they are 100% authentic as a child, I want them to remain that throughout teenagehood and adulthood. If they unconditionally love as a child, I want to help that remain intact. I don't want them to learn transactional, conditionally loving relationships, which is what I'm going to talk about in this episode. We do not need a parent figure to teach us good from bad or right from wrong because we have this internal moral compass from feelings. When we automatically feel guilt and shame, which little kids feel that, they feel guilty for hurting a child. Typically, it might take a little bit of time, but when they induce a negative reaction in someone else, they typically feel guilt and shame. And that is their moral compass. The feeling of shame and guilt in our body is what orients us to do better the next time. Those low feelings is the internal system that makes us do better. We don't need an external authority figure punishing us, shaming us more, making us feel worse because we already feel it inside. That is our internal moral compass and guilt and shame. That is the purpose of it. We feel guilt and shame, and then the next time we can do better. But it's not guaranteed because we have free will. But there is no guarantee that just because we feel shame or guilt, that we will do better next time because we are all on our own journey. We all take our own time learning different things, learning different lessons. So when we are in integrity, we will not feel guilt and shame. When we are out of integrity, we feel guilt or shame, which is our internal compass bringing us, begging us to act in integrity. It's all within us. We don't need this external parent figure to externally teach us right from wrong. So... That is a whole tangent that I might get into since I'm bringing it up, is that to me, the mainstream and and pretty much Christian way of parenting is this belief that children are born bad and it's a parent's job to teach them how to be good as if a parent is good, as if a parent is perfect, as if a parent doesn't, you know, white lie to their friends oh you look it in those jeans yeah I just I I think I personally think children are better than adults children and all people are born good because we are a soul and our soul is good and I think Christians with this whole you know garden sin story Christian parents in my opinion can really act as gods to their children because they have to make them good 
And I don't subscribe to that at all, not in the slightest, because I know I was born good. I know I was born a good person, and no one made me that way. But sadly, what happens when normal parents think, my child is bad and I need to make them good through my external punishments and shaming and you know, giving them a talk about learning lessons, typically when a child learns through this dynamic of a parent teaching their child and punishing their child to make them learn the lesson and be good, is that the child learns that their parent is not a safe space. They are not a safe space. And what that shows up in teenagehood is, you know, is lying to parents or simply not going to their parents any longer for help, for safety, for comfort, to talk things out. They have learned to hide themselves from their parent because the parent is no longer a safe space. And this conversation was brought up between um, my friends and I because someone was hiding, as an adult, was hiding certain things of who they are from their, their parent. As an adult, this adult child was hiding who they are in some ways from their parent because they know their parent wouldn't approve. And this person was saying, oh, I do it, you know, just to not make waves, not create conflict. It's just easy. It's just easy to hide it. And ultimately, I got to the point with this person that you don't feel safe with your parents. That's why you're not sharing your full self. And how did that happen? It happened from childhood. From when, you know, it's something like, who broke the window? Be honest. Be honest. Who broke the window? Be honest. And then the child's honest. I broke the window. And then it's, how dare you break the window? How could you do that? You know, slapping on the butt, some sort of punishment for being honest. The child already feels guilty for breaking the window. There's that internal moral compass of, I broke something. Especially, I broke something that was not mine. And I feel bad about it. 99% of humans feel this. We feel guilty. We don't need an adult to punish us for breaking the window because we already feel bad about it. So if a parent then uses punishment and more shame, especially after a child is honest, over time that child learns, I can't be honest with my parent. I can't, I, because I am not safe. I am not safe. And this is why adult children become, begin to hide their true self, you know, hide their lifestyle choices that their parent won't agree with. And to me, the root, it stems from a parent believing they need to make their child good. Children are already good. They just have a flamboyant ego that is not programmed or socialized in our society. And that's what feels uncomfortable, right? They, a child can be so angry. They can scream. They can hit. And it's so confronting because we have learned that's not acceptable. You know, a programmed ego says, 
Screaming when you're angry is not acceptable. So a child's ego being so raw and authentic with what they feel is confronting and they have the unsocialized ego and it's confronting to a socialized ego. So that tangent started from the word integrity and having a conversation with my husband about the word integrity. And then I talked about it with my friends and ultimately I just love the definition of whole and undivided because when you are not in integrity, you are divided between your ego and soul. And when you are out of integrity, you are choosing from your ego, right? You are doing something you know you don't want to be doing, but you're doing it anyways. You are, you're, you are divided. Ego, soul. You know, that angel, that devil inside you. But when you're in integrity, you are whole and undivided. You are acting from your soul. And ultimately, you are acting from your pure consciousness of who you are. Another word I have been thinking about is agency. As adults, we have agency. I love the word responsibility, but now I'm really loving the word agency. Agency means the capacity of exerting power. We have the capacity of exerting power over our life, over our choices, not over other people. We don't have agency over other people, not even our spouse, you know, a little bit over our child because we choose whether to bring our child to the doctor. We choose what food we put in the cupboards to feed our children, but we don't have agency. We don't have control over how our child expresses their emotions. They have their agency of being who they are. The trap that I see a lot happening on Instagram is adults complaining about things they have to do as if they don't have agency. Oh, I have to go to this doctor appointment. Oh, I have to take this medication. I don't want to, but I have to take this medication. I have to get induced. I have to get a C-section. Oh, I have to, I have to bring my child in for more testing. I have to bring my child in for therapy. I have to bring my child XYZ. I have to. I have to is victimhood. You don't have a choice. But that's an illusion. That's not true. You are an adult, so you have agency. You have choice. You have power. You choose to go to the doctors. You choose to take medication. Yes, if it's life-changing, life-saving medication, you're still choosing it. You're not being arrested and being thrown in jail for not taking medication. So saying, oh, I have to take medication even though I hate the side effects. You are not in your power and you are a victim. This is victimhood. Dr. Kelly Brogan says the only pathology that exists is victimhood. So when you say the words, I have to, this is victimhood. I have to go to the doctor's. I have to bring my child to well visits every month as a baby. Oh, my child has to get shots. My child has to get surgery. 
I have to get a C-section. I have to do gestational diabetes testing. All of that is a choice. None of that is forced. If we are acting like we don't have power and agency in that, we are a victim and we are acting like this little girl without power. And that's what feels so crappy when you feel like you don't have a choice. So the power of choice is this is when you can actually be honest, be like, I am choosing to allow my child to have surgery. I am choosing to make to take this medication, even though the side effects are making me feel this way. This is how you feel better. This is how you feel in your power because you are in your power. It is a choice. Feeling powerless feels low and it feels gross. So all you have to do is change your wording and own your choices. Own it. I don't like this medication, but I am choosing to take it because of this reason. I don't like going to the doctors, but I am choosing to go to the doctors because ultimately I want to. Or don't go. I choose not to. I choose not to take this medication. No one is forcing you to do anything. You are an adult with agency. Someone messaged me on Instagram when I posted this on a story and she said that she was feeling really gross about her daughter being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and she, you know, was spiraling about it, you know, right, rightfully so, because now you have to give a child, well, okay, she was spiraling because she felt powerless. I have to give my child these shots multiple times a day. And her husband was like, we get to, because we, you know, because of modern medicine, we get to give her shots. We get to. And we get to feel good about that, good about that. And when she shared that, she said she felt so much better. It's just a reframe. It's a perspective shift. And that's what all of this is. That's what all of this is. Everything comes back to perspective. No one's forcing you to go to doctor's appointments. No one's forcing you to get induced. That is your choice. And if you can own it, you can feel so much better, I guarantee you. So please, if you are saying I have to, please try to reframe from I have to to I choose, I choose to, or I get to. Because that is where our power is. It's our perception and it's in our choices. So if we could own our choices instead of acting like we're powerless and we don't have choices, we can feel better. It's actually quite simple. <laughs> so the next thing I want to talk about is this conscious parenting topic that Dr. Shafali was talking about on a podcast. She was talking about how the parent-child dynamic and a lot of marriages are transactional. So what does that mean? In normal parenting, often it goes like this. If my child does XYZ behavior, then I will feel proud, 
respected, disappointed. If a child does XYZ behavior, then I will feel a certain way. So a child behavior then determines how a parent feels. That is transactional. So child, you have to act good. You have to stop screaming. You have to be polite so that I can feel proud of you. And then how the parent feels about the child. Oh, I feel so proud of you. I respect you. You did so good is the reward, the reward to the child. How the parent feels about the child is either the reward or the punishment to the child. This is how conditional love happens and it's transactional and it's how we grow up then caring so much about what people think about us and it's how we are so affected by what other people do to us and how we are so enmeshed in a marriage. You know, your, your spouse comes in through the door from work very crabby. Then we feel a certain way because this is a transactional relationship we learned when we were a child. I have to act a certain way for my parent or my spouse to feel a certain way. I am responsible for their feelings. If you do X, Y, Z, then I will feel blank. That victimhood, that is giving your entire power away. How you feel is based on someone else's actions. This is how most of us live. But this is conditional love. This is ultimate victimhood. This is where we have no power because we then put the power of how we feel based on our child's behavior or our spouse's behavior, it's true powerlessness. And it's also why we are adults and still seeking our approval from our parents because how they feel about us has been conditioned to be survival, our everything. Are they proud of us? Do they accept us? Were they proud that I made that choice? Because as a child, our behavior determined whether they felt good or not. And whether they felt good about us or not was the reward or punishment. I disapprove of you or I approve of you. I do not accept that you did that or I accept that you did that. This is the model of relationships we basically all have. I am hard-pressed to find someone that is truly an in the model of unconditional love. Almost all of us are in this transactional type of relationship. If you do this behavior, then I will feel X, Y, Z. So then we become parents and then we model what we were modeled from our parents. And then, you know, we have a transactional child-parent relationship with our own kids and the cycle just goes on and on. But I've been thinking, so having a child is you are serving that child 24-7. You are serving them all the time, every day, making them breakfast, lunch, dinner. You know, buying them clothes, driving them to school. A parent serves a child 24-7. That is the dynamic. 
And I truly believe a lot of suffering in parenthood is not understanding that that's what parenthood is. So a lot of people choose to have children, you know, because they want certain things. I want a child to feel more happiness. I want a child to feel more love. Um, I really think it's a selfish endeavor. Unless you accidentally get pregnant, if it's a conscious choice, I want a child, it is a selfish endeavor because you want certain things. And then you become a parent. And in my perception, the reality of becoming a parent is sobering. You are serving a child 24-7. You're in servitude all day long for years and years and years. And it is not a child's... um, It is not a child's job to validate you, to fulfill your emotional needs, to be thankful that that you chose to have them. But we all have an ego. So I think this transactional relationship of parenthood happens because a parent is, is serving the child constantly, every day. And an ego says, I need something in return. I keep doing this for you. I'm doing all this for you. I need something in return. So in return, I need to feel good. You need to act a certain way so I can feel good. This is the transaction. I am serving you all day for years and years. You need to make me feel good about it. So you need to act a certain way so I feel good. And this transactional relationship is actually so centered around a parent's feelings. What the parent feels is priority. It is the centering of the parent's feelings. You are acting unacceptable. I think you're acting unacceptable. And that's what matters the most. That's what matters. It's the parent's feelings that are the hierarchy. And this is, to me, childism, where an adult's feelings, perceptions, beliefs are above a child's because a child is below a parent. And I don't believe that. But that's our society. That's normal society. And, you know, an adult thinks it knows better than a child. It thinks it's it's more good because it's trying to teach a child because there's this hierarchy of I am better than you and I am teaching you how to do right. Try to, I'm teaching you to be good because I'm good. No, a child is the only one that knows how to unconditionally love. A child doesn't know how to have a transactional relationship until maybe five, six years old when they're modeled it maybe a little younger, but children come in completely in unconditional love, not understanding a transactional relationship because they unconditionally love. They unconditionally forgive. They embody personality traits that we adults don't. They unconditionally love because they have not been programmed a transactional relationship yet, they unconditionally forgive no matter what you do to them daily. You could could abuse a child and they will keep loving you and forgiving you every single day. And adults take advantage of that. An adult's ego takes advantage of that pure love, forgiveness, and innocence. A child is 100% authentic. They don't pretend to be anything than themselves. They don't pretend 
to hide their emotions. They don't pretend to not be angry. When they're angry, they're angry. When they're sad, they're sad. When they're happy, they're happy. When they want to create, they create. Children embody so much of what adults strive to be daily. Children just are. They are already these things because they are in integrity. They are whole. They are undivided. They are pure. They are their soul. (laughs) Their ego has not been programmed to all of the weird societal stuff that we do. They are just them. And because they are just them, it's so confronting. How emotional they are is so confronting because we have learned to silence ourselves. When we're angry, we get passive aggressive or we do the silent treatment. We don't let ourselves actually be angry or we take it out on the wrong person. We're angry and we're at our boss and we're taking it out on our spouse or our child. Children are present and they just are who they are and they're not pretending to be anything else. And they prioritize presence, fun, play, creativity. They prioritize relationships. They're not focused on money. They're not focused on their image. They don't have masks they wear to appease others. That all happens eventually, maybe five, six, seven years old. But under four years old, they are so pure. And they embody so much of what we adults want to be. So no, we are not above them. Another thing that has been on my mind this week is the absolute laziness of the ego. Because the ego says it wants money. It wants a romantic partner. It wants a baby. It wants a certain career. But the ego does not want to work for it. The ego says it wants things, but then it really just wants it to be easy. It doesn't want to work. It doesn't want to get uncomfortable. And this is what my friend and I keep talking about because she wants a romantic partner, but she doesn't want to date anymore. She's so exhausted with dating because with dating, you have to feel uncomfortable. You have to meet people you don't jive with. And then you have to say, hey, I don't want to see you again. There's so much discomfort in dating. And also just being around someone that you are very attracted to and watching how you want to self-abandon to gain validation when you are around someone you are very attracted to, when you are aware, that is very uncomfortable and very weird to witness and acknowledge. There's this quote that says, who we are attracted to is our karmic contracts because it is very fascinating to be around the opposite sex that you're not attracted to and see how effortlessly you could be yourself, typically. And then the minute you're around someone you are very attracted to, you want to change yourself. You want to censor yourself. You want to put a mask on or you want to take your personality up 10 notches for attention or you want to dress a certain way 
for validation from them. When we are highly attracted to someone, we often change who we are. And that is so confronting. So there are so many uncomfortable situations with dating. So the ego just wants to say, hey, I just want to sit here. And universe, you could just bring me someone. I don't want to work for it. I don't want to go put myself in uncomfortable situations. I just want to sit here and you can just bring me someone. Because the ego doesn't want to work. It wants fast, easy, painless. That is the name of the game with the ego. So when my friend and I were eating something really good and really tasting it and just being so in pleasure with food recently, it dawned on me that it is so easy to gain pleasure from food because we're not having to put ourselves in an uncomfortable position or situation. We don't have to get out of our ego and be regulated to eat food and enjoy food. It costs nothing to eat food and feel pleasure from food. And this relates because this is why so many people are addicted to junk food, fast food, you know, alcohol, these types of things, because it costs nothing to gain the pleasure from food compared to something I've been thinking about is my husband and I have been working on a lot of sexual dynamics and for about a year now and one thing we don't do anymore is what Kim and Ami says is junk food sex which is fast really fast like not even mutually gratifying like not vulnerable not connection sex it's sex it's just fast done junk food sex and we don't do that anymore we have gourmet sex which takes a lot of energy takes a lot of time it takes a lot of connection and it's so worth it it's so worth it worth it the payoff is so worth it but i wonder why i don't want to do it every day even though the payoff is so good. And what I realized is because to have gourmet sex, really, really good, vulnerable, intimate sex, it takes energy. It takes mind work. Because with junk food sex, you could be in your mind because it's just a whatever, whatever. But with gourmet sex, you have to be in your body You can't be in your mind. You have to be in your body, in the present moment, fully in your body, in the present moment. That is what gourmet sex is. And it's a huge practice. It is basically meditation, right? It is a huge practice. And so I realized, okay, why does it feel like a chore to want gourmet sex? It's because my connection with my husband has to be a certain level. I have to have 
you know, I have to be at a certain energetic level. I have to have enough time. We have to have enough time. And I have to get my mind right. I have to get my mind right to do it. But I could just go and get burgers and fries and and feel pleasure from food without doing any work, without doing anything, without being vulnerable with someone, without getting my mind right. (laughs) So I now see why food addiction is so easy because it takes no work. You just get to buy food and be in pleasure and enjoy it and be in pleasure. But something that's so meaningful, like gourmet sex, it takes energy, it takes time, it takes connection, intimacy, vulnerability, all the things the ego doesn't like. So I've been having a lot of sex conversations with my friends because I love talking about it, but I don't know how to address it on this podcast because I don't want to be too TMI and I don't want um, to be sharing, you know, so many private things because it's me and my husband, yet I love the conversation so much because it's such a huge part of our lives and it's not talked about. We're all so interested in the conversation of sex and we don't talk about it enough. So I want to start talking about it more. But the main thing that I want to talk about with this conversation is with the ego, right? It wants fast, painless, easy, comfort. It doesn't want to get uncomfortable. It doesn't want vulnerability. So with women, I think a lot of women knee-jerk say no to sex to their husbands, And I think it's because the ego, the way I think of the ego is in my Yeshua book, he says we have a Yeshua self and a Lucifer self. Our Yeshua self is our soul and our mind, our ego is the Lucifer self. And it wants us, it wants us in victimhood, blame, laziness, all of those things. So with gourmet sex with partners that is not the ego's favorite thing because the ego has to get vulnerable and the ego has to be in full connection with someone else the ego likes to blame someone else the ego likes to be in disconnection from your partner so i think a lot of women knee-jerk say no to sex because the ego basically wants to keep that disconnection from the partner It doesn't want to be vulnerable, so it just says no. But what could make that no a yes? What could make that no a yes? For many women, it's 20 minutes, 15 minutes of eye contact, of connection, of emotional attunement to our husbands. For most of us, that's all we need to feel connected again. So I think the ego automatically says, no, I'm too tired for sex. I haven't showered today. No, you know, it has every reason in the book to say no to sex sometimes because it doesn't want to get vulnerable and be connected. But what could turn that no to a yes? What do you need? There's usually something you need. 
And it can be quite simple. Sometimes maybe it, it might take a little more work. But I am so big on overriding that no. And obviously you have to listen to your body if it's a hard, hard no for some you know, really valid reason. You have to listen to the voice of your body. But also the ego knee jerk loves to say no. Or on the other end of the spectrum, the ego knee jerk says yes because it needs that sexual validation that you're desired and then that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. But I am talking about when women say no to their husbands all the time and why. I think it's the ego evading vulnerability. It doesn't want connection. So what could turn the no to yes? What could it be? For many women, they need eye contact, emotional attunement. They need to be centered. They need to be ramped up with their pleasure. They need to be, and it's actually really hard to be centered. That's a whole other thing. Women need to be centered to be boiled up for sex. But then women are so uncomfortable being centered, their needs being centered. I'm not saying this is black and white. I think everyone's different. But I do think a majority of women struggle with saying no a lot. And then they struggle being centered. And then they struggle being present with their body in pleasure because their ceiling of a feeling with pleasure is so low. You only let yourself feel pleasure to a certain extent. And then once you hit that ceiling, you go into your mind and start thinking about, oh, I forgot to do this in a day, I forgot to do that a day. And then you start checking out with sex. Instead of breathing in, staying present with your body. How present can you be in pleasure? How long can you sit in the sensation of pleasure? Not chasing an end goal, not chasing an orgasm, not chasing the end point in scarcity. Can you sit in pleasure and let yourself receive endless amounts of pleasure? This is what I have been working on. And it has been so Amazing. It has brought me to tears so many times. Ultimately, what I've been learning in the bedroom is magic happens when you surrender. It's true with sex. It's true in life. 